0: there's a greater risk of loss of life from cyber attack. And there's been some demonstrated vulnerabilities in medical devices that could result in loss of life. And we certainly hope that we don't end up with malicious cyber actors who have that intent and have that capability married in the same place. But that is certainly a possibility. And yes, absolutely a frightening one.
1: This is episode number 145 with Eric Greenwald. On this episode of Transform Talks, I'm joined by Eric Greenwald, General Counsel at Finite State. Eric is a leading cybersecurity expert. He brings an extensive background with 20 years serving as a lawyer and working his way up within the U.S. federal government, from chief counsel at Capitol Hill to National Security Council at the White House. He even served as a senior director for cybersecurity and as a special assistant to President Obama. With this wealth of experience, Eric shares an intriguing perspective on cybersecurity. We discuss whether this is more of a business risk or an IT issue. As we all know, the ramifications for supply chains is enormous. If certain systems fail, entire companies could go offline. The risks are just too many to name. Given Eric's background, he sheds light on the most pressing policy changes likely to occur in the near term and the impact that this could have not only on your business and your supply chain, but that of your suppliers. How comfortable are you, really, with the cybersecurity threats that are facing companies deep into your supply chain? Well, Eric believes that most people in the supply chain function are still unaware of the vulnerabilities that could impact their businesses. Listen to the episode to hear more on this topic. And are you interested in finding out how some of the leading companies of today are building resilience into their supply chains? How they're doing that through harnessing technology and processes or how they're acquiring, retaining and leveraging top talent? Well, if you are, then you should come along to The Economist's annual Global Trade Week event taking place from the 27th to the 30th of June. For the first time ever, The Economist will be hosting an in-person gathering to discuss all things supply chain resiliency in London on the 28th of June. I'll be joining them to lead a discussion on the strategies you can use to attract, retain and leverage top talent in procurement and supply chain to accelerate your transformations and build robust supply chains. Head over to www.events.economist.com forward slash global hyphen trade hyphen week to secure your virtual and in-person pass to join the event. Once again, that's www.events.economist.com forward slash global hyphen trade hyphen week. See you there. Hi, Eric. Welcome to Transform Talks. Thanks for being here.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Maria.
1: So for our audience, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and your background?
0: Well, so my name is Eric Greenwald. I am the general counsel for a company called Finite State that focuses on device security, that is uh, security of software embedded in devices. And this is, broadly speaking, Internet of Things, but uh, we focus more on industrial IoT applications that you might find anywhere from a medical device, an automobile, a, an electrical producing plant, and we look specifically at supply chain questions related to the code. Uh, that you would find in the software and the firmware of those devices. My background prior to Finite State, uh, I've been out in the private sector for a little while now, but prior to that, I was working in the government, the federal government, and I spent a number of years on Capitol Hill with the House Intelligence Committee, where I was chief counsel, then transitioned into the executive branch where I was Uh, Deputy Director of Operations for Cyber Command, then was at the uh, National Cyber, FBI's National Cyber Investigative Joint Task Force, where I was Deputy Director. Uh, And then my last job in government, I was at the White House and the National Security Council, where I was Senior Director for Cybersecurity and Special Assistant to uh, President Obama. So you know a thing or two about cybersecurity? I've been doing cybersecurity for a while now. To be clear, it's been more on the policy level than on the technical level. So I know enough on the technical side to be dangerous, but I'm not an engineer and I don't want to pretend for any of your listeners that I am.
1: Well, unfortunately, that's not what we're looking for because I think our audience isn't necessarily looking to get into the nitty gritty, the details of it all, but they do want to understand a little bit about the implications for them in terms of the way that the world is right now. So I guess let's start out with why we're having this conversation now, because this is a supply chain podcast. We talk about supply chain things, but clearly the state of the world leads us to a position to be worried about cyber. So maybe talk to us a little bit about where you're at with this and in terms of the importance of dealing with cyber now.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because for those of us who've been focused on cyber for more than the last five or 10 years, these problems are not new. And I, I think the point that you're making is, why is it only now that we seem to be waking up to these problems? I think the simple reality is that the problems are becoming more real for people who make decisions about what's to be done. And by more real, I mean partly that the threats are becoming Bigger or more readily understood. But honestly, and this is a little bit of my cynical side coming out, what's really happening is that you're starting to see the regulatory environment, whether that's actual rules, laws, uh, or something that's more indirect, like the threat of litigation, forcing the hand of the people who are supposed to be taking the actions, making the decisions to protect networks, to protect information, that they recognize that they can't really whistle past the graveyard anymore. Many of those people carrying with the metaphor didn't even really understand that they were walking past the graveyard. Now they have to notice it and they have to stop whistling because the regulations, whether it's just in terms of more specific technical requirements or the potential for greater liability they're starting to wake up and see that they can't avoid it in the way that they have in the past
1: one of the things one of my guests recently on a podcast was telling me about uh, well opened my eyes to something which was uh, cyber security is not an it problem or just an it problem it's a business risk problem and that i mean i'm still talking about it it blew my mind Again, every time I say it, because I kept thinking it's in a business, usually all of us are running around thinking, well, it's not my problem, it's the IT guy's problem, right? So, how wrong is that thinking?
0: Well, it, it, it is, it's not completely wrong. The technical side of the problem obviously sits with IT, or depending upon how you've tasked things within your organization, uh, could be the CISO, because there is a division between the two in, in many organizations nowadays. It is. But yeah, I, I couldn't agree more that it's more properly categorized as a business risk. And circling back on my cynical comments from a moment ago, I look at the parallel to what we in the legal community call toxic torts. So if you think about, for example, a chemical company and think back to the 1970s and even in the 1980s, where they were starting to look at, oh, we recognize that our chemicals are leaching into the groundwater, and they're probably having a negative impact on the community around us. Well, let's be honest. It would cost a lot of money for us to do a great deal to to protect the community and avoid that leakage. So we're just going to roll the dice and say, if a lawsuit comes, we'll deal with the lawsuit. We'll deal with the legal fees. We'll hire the best lawyers. We'll try to avoid having that really come home to roost in terms of cost, in terms of risk. And I think that's still a calculus that people engage in the toxic tort environment. But what you've seen is both uh, state and federal laws and the actions of prosecutors and regulators have become sufficiently rigorous that a lot of companies that might have played it fast and loose in the past are being more careful because they recognize how big their exposure is. Same thing is happening now in cybersecurity with the increase in detail and intensity of regulation, with the increase in threat of significant losses from litigation, you are seeing companies recognize, wake up to the potential scale of loss that could come from a cybersecurity incident. And that, I think, is the underlying dynamic that is occurring. And it, it, it is both, as I was saying earlier, waking up to the risk, but waking up to, as you say, the business risk. It's not, sp- strictly speaking, a technical risk. It is a business risk. And when people have in the past said, oh, cybersecurity, that's the I- thats the problem of IT. Well, the reality is that it's it may be IT's problem, but if you're not properly resourcing IT to actually address those problems, it's everybody's problem.
1: Yeah, but you know what, on top of that, that's such an antiquated way of thinking because IT was a technical thing that was in maybe some small departments. Now that we operationalize technology and technology is so prevalent and ubiquitous in everyone, it's the fundamental core of an operations of a business, isn't the threat bigger?
0: Yeah. Many years ago, if your IT systems failed, well, your email wasn't working or your customer processing system wasn't up, or maybe uh, your website was down. Now, if your IT systems fail, your entire business could go offline. And so you're absolutely right that it's not just a question of the exposure to regulatory action or liability. It it is the possible business loss, operational loss. Now, the reality is that also translates into liability exposure because, for example, if you're a publicly traded company, you're exposing yourself to a significant shareholder lawsuit. If your business losses, you essentially... Compound your injury because you suffer a business loss, and then your shareholders come in and sue you for having not taken adequate measures to avoid that business loss.
1: Well, there's also something else. I know I was reading an article on on Forbes about something, it was a very big article about technology and cyber risk and supply chains. And there was a Gartner report that predicted that you could even have human casualties as cyber threats become weaponized, malware spreading from IT to OT. And that's big. That's huge.
0: It absolutely is. And in fact, there was during COVID, and I'm ashamed to say that I'm forgetting the specifics, but there was an instance of uh, a hospital that was suffering a ransomware attack. And there was a a child who died as a result of, you know, direct slash indirect result of the computer system outage that happened at the hospital. Now, that's obviously an inadvertent casualty of the ransomware attack. It is also possible that attackers could try to cause cyber effects that could lead to loss of life. That's pretty hard to accomplish in general, especially at scale. People often talk about water treatment plants or dams releasing floodwaters, which Either of those things could result in significant casualties. And we've seen some incidents over the past where there was at least a threat that something like that could happen. I I consider that those to be relatively low probability risks. But the reality is that as the sophistication of threat actors increases, and cybersecurity doesn't improve, that probability starts to creep up. It's already uncomfortable. It gets more uncomfortable if people don't start taking uh, action to ensure that they're actually protected against even the lesser sophisticated actors. It's worth noting, however, that with respect to medical devices, there's a greater risk of loss of life from cyber attack. And there's been some demonstrated vulnerabilities in medical devices that could result. In loss of life, and we certainly hope that we don't end up with malicious cyber actors who have that intent and have that capability married in the same place. But that is certainly a possibility, and yes, absolutely a frightening one.
1: Well, let's talk about the reality of the situation. We are currently in you know the throes of a potential world war. At least we're definitely in an economic world war. The risks have never been greater. We're dealing with powers that have I don't know had a history of Quite a lot of spyware and malware and expertise in that area. So, how risk, how at risk could a supply chain be in today's environment?
0: Very at risk. Uh, the and and this is not just from, for example, Russian cyber actors trying to exact revenge on, for example, U.S. interests as a result of U.S. support for Ukraine in the war that Russia started there. Though that is certainly a fear, one that a number of commentators have suggested is a, a drawing alarmingly close, that reality. The, From my perspective, what's real and of genuine concern is specifically the supply chain risk associated with computer hardware and software. Because, and, and perhaps the best example of this, best recent example at least, is the Log4J vulnerability, where you had a a component, a software component that exists across many, many different systems, has been used over and over and over again, that has suffered a vulnerability that could be exploited in a profound way. And not only was that fact troubling, but it was even more concerning that most companies, whether they built software, hardware products, or simply owned and operated them in their networks, had no idea whether that vulnerability was present for them. Uh, When you look at the increasingly complex supply chain process for the development of software and hardware, you see all these different components that are getting used over and over and over again without much awareness that What's even gone into what what components have gone into make the software or hardware that people don't understand that that they may be baking in vulnerabilities, well-known, long-established vulnerabilities into their products. And when new vulnerabilities emerge, don't have an easy way of determining whether their uh, product is affected.
1: Now, now you bring up a really, really valid point here because, for instance, every supply chain professional under the sun right now, and even before this current situation, was busy trying to find supply chain visibility to understand the risks within their supply chain in multiple tiers because supply chains are complex. They have tier one, two, three, etc. How easy is it to find the tiers within a software and technology in terms of the ingredients? Uh, of, that go into software, for example?
0: Well, right now, the practical realities are that it's not that easy because not that many people are doing it. That is providing visibility into the code that they're writing, the products that they're building. I think that with the increased adoption of, in particular, the practice of providing a software bill of materials. That's the, that's the, is that the S-bomb. S-bomb, exactly. That the S-bomb, once more widely adopted, will make that process a lot easier. It's not a panacea. It's not a magic bullet. It's, it, it, there still will be challenges both to ensure that all the various elements that go into a software or hardware device have that visibility, uh, and then there's also the compliance where when you learn of new vulnerabilities, you, know, you actually need to check it against your S-bomb to see whether any of your devices suffer from that vulnerability, require a patch. But at least you have the information if you've got the SBOM. And this is what I feel like we're seeing right now in the regulatory landscape is a move towards gradually, but a move towards requiring S-bombs. And whether that's the government requiring them for software that the government itself acquires, federal government. You have the Patch Act that was a piece of legislation, draft legislation that came into the House and Senate two weeks ago, I think, that bipartisan legislation that requires, if adopted, would require s bombs for medical devices which circles back to our uh, conversation a few moments ago about the how scary it is what happens when exploits affect medical devices and i think what you're going to start seeing in among private sector parties is that they will be requiring each other in their contracts that they provide software bills of material for the devices for the products that they're buying and selling So uh, it's going to take a while before we can even plausibly say that it's easy to have that visibility. But the S-bomb is something that's been percolating for nearly a decade now, and it seems to be finally gaining the traction that's necessary to really assist supply chain professionals in having the visibility that you described, which I couldn't agree more is a critical importance.
1: Well, supply chain leaders have been dealing with bills of material for quite some time. So this isn't terminology that they're not used to, but it's just whether or not they apply it to uh, software is the big confusion or the, well, the big issue. As you said at the beginning of this podcast, a lot of it is going to come down to regulatory compliance and the government's insisting on this type of criteria for working with them. So do you think that we're heading into more regulations for this type of thing in
0: where we're going? I I do. It's hard to say exactly how it's going to unfold. And I suspect that you will see uh, private sector outpace the government. That is having private contracting parties required of one another in their individual contracts with greater regularity and intensity than you might see in the government. You might also see insurance companies begin to require that their insurance obtain software bills and materials for devices that they are software and hardware devices that they are buying in order to, at least in the OT arena, in order to qualify for coverage or qualify for lower rates. There is right now, executive order one four zero two eight, which uh, is almost a year old and at its at its year anniversary, there at least the government is at least theoretically supposed to be proposing uh, draft language to amend the federal acquisition regulations, that is the contracting language that the government requires when buying hardware and software products. And the it's pretty clear that there's going to be some form of s-bomb requirement in that what form it's at, exactly it's going to take, how stringent it will be, how easy it is to wiggle around is another matter. But it's at least one indicator of, number one, an increasing appetite in uh, rulemaking for requiring the S-bomb. And number two, the likelihood that the private sector is going to outpace the government. Because even though uh, it's clear that there's going to be some form of S-bomb requirement, it's hard to know whether it's going to be meaningful enough to really have a significant impact on supply chain security overall, which is why I anticipate you're going to see the private sector take that page, whether it's from Executive Order 14028 or from the Patch Act or from broader trend lines and start adopting SBOMs, their own requirements, creating them themselves, even before the government is necessarily requiring them to do so. I think we're already seeing, looking again at the PATCH Act, medical device manufacturers are quickly starting to jump through hoops because they see the handwriting on the wall, they see the handwriting on the draft legislation, that they're probably going to have to have S-bombs for their medical devices. And so they're not waiting around right now to be told that they have to do it. They're starting to move in that direction. Uh, that's medical devices, which is a very heavy regulated vertical, and you won't see the same kind of intense pressure in probably any other vertical until we get a bit farther down the road. But it's a very clear indication of what's to come.
1: And, and you don't know how what's going to happen. You don't know what's coming around the corner. The necessity is the mother of invention, right? So we could find ourselves in a situation where there is, hopefully not, but something serious happens and then this accelerates all kinds of things.
0: Absolutely. And honestly, I think this circles right back to how you let us in. And that is, why is it only now that we're starting to see what looks like more serious, more concerted activity? And I think it's because people have started to understand what's going to be required of them and what the parade of horribles looks like if they don't do it. So they're starting to Zero in a little bit and understand, OK, this is a measure that we really should be taking, because if we don't, we could be facing an unacceptable level of risk, even if it's not cybersecurity risk, it's business. All kinds risk. of risk.
1: Yeah, it, it opens us up from, for all kinds of business risk. Eric, I want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for chatting with us about S bombs and all other exciting things. If people want to find out about you, find out more information, where can they find you? I know you've got a podcast as well. You want to talk to us about that?
0: Sure. Yeah. We, so Finance State just launched uh, its own podcast called The Internet of Threats. And the focus is not unlike yours for supply chain security professionals who need to know a little bit more about what they need to do, what they need to what they need to know about what they need to do about it. And in particular, thinking about for those security professionals who don't have all the resources in the world, how do they make the most of what they've got? How do they do what they need to do? With what resources they've been given and we'll also try to get a little bit into how do they fight for more resources within their organization to try to make even more happen
1: fantastic thanks so much eric and uh, we'll stay tuned
0: thank you for joining
1: us today at transform talks i hope you found this episode informative and valuable if you enjoyed this episode and you're interested in exploring how some of the leading companies of today are building resilience into their supply chains Well, you should come along to The Economist's annual Global Trade Week event taking place from the 27th to the 30th of June. For the first time ever, The Economist is going to be hosting an in-person gathering to discuss all things supply chain resiliency in London on the 28th of June. And I'm going to be there. I'll be leading a discussion on the strategies you can use to attract, retain, and leverage top talent in procurement and supply chain to accelerate your transformations and build robust supply chains. Head over to www.events.economist.com forward slash global hyphen trade hyphen week to secure your free virtual and in-person pass to join the event. You're listening to Maria Villablanca on Transform Talks. Catch you later.